Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. Jesus feeds the 5,000. The apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it is already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding side and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus told them to make all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all later were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand. Wow, what a nerve-wracking quiz that was. Three one. Wouldn't that be a good prophetic result for England? I wonder how that team are feeling when you think of the England women's football team. Just think of the success they've already had under a phenomenal coach, uh, Serena Wegman. You think in 2022, she only started coaching the team in September 2021, and they won the Euro finals, the championship in 22, and here they are now in the World Cup final against Spain. I know we have some, the Spanish contingent here as well, so. <laughs> but it's, it's fantastic, isn't it? The success this, these women have, have enjoyed, the togetherness of the team. But I wonder how they're feeling. It's funny that footballers particularly will look at lots of different things, from their sports um, psychologists to the uh, tactics and the leadership of the coach, to, to make sure they're right on it and they, they have everything they need. And yet, they're also quite a superstitious bunch. There are interesting things that they might do, a certain way of putting their shoes on or what socks or the type of shin pad they have or how they even have maybe one wristband here and not here and th things like this that they do repetitively to give them a sense of control and comfort. And I wonder, 
what you have in your life. When it comes to those points of anxiety, of even harder, when we say fear, those, those points, those crossroads in life, whether it's exam results, uh, finishing a job or starting an, another job, maybe it's moving home, maybe there's a health crisis, maybe as it was when we were celebrating Ben Tucker's wedding yesterday to Susanna, the, the evening before or the morning of the wedding day can be a bit, bit of a nervy one. The anxiety sets in. You see, those, those crossroad points, those big occasions, they raise questions that are lurking backstage in our minds and hearts, that in the busyness of everyday life we can sort of push away. Am I really in control here? Who will I trust? Who am I trusting? Where is my life heading? Who's in control? And you see, as we we come to Psalm 23 today in this little series looking at these key psalms around God's way to live life, we see that King David here in Psalm 23, if you've got your Bibles open, please have it open there. Um, Kids, we've also got some of the Explorers Bibles, which I know in uh, Explorers and Kids Club, you do use those Bibles. So we have got some of those if you want to use those. And there are some activity sheets as well that tie in with the psalm we're looking at. But in Psalm 23, we meet King David. Remember, he's the king who has vast power, he's vast authority, vast wealth, vast responsibility as he's heading up God's people, Israel. He's experienced crushing lows as well as profound spiritual joy. He also uh, knows he's a man who is in need, a man who needs to be led. He was a follower first. And Psalm 23 is this beautiful meditation inspired by God's spirit, that David uh, speaks and sings and prays, and God speaks through it to us, showing us what it truly means to know God and yield our lives to him, the great shepherd. It gives us insight into the heart of the ultimate savior shepherd, Jesus Christ, who we need. So quite simply, we're going to look at the psalm in two chunks. And the first part of it, verses 1 to 4, Jesus is the good shepherd who leads us forever. I know this is such a well-known psalm. Matthew, maybe uh, if you could just click on the uh, PowerPoint, that'd be helpful. Thank you. Um, This is such a well-known psalm. It's easy to miss the sting of this psalm. There's a particular sting here. It's being described as sheep. I don't know how you feel about that. Isn't it fascinating that David, the youngest of seven sons, spent years of his youth doing one of the lowest 24-7 hour jobs, all weathers, whatever, that was going at the time. He was looking after his father's flock. His days spent walking miles, feeding, protecting, finding these timid, smelly, walking balls of wool on stubby legs. Now, when you hear that phrase, you're such a sheep, if that was ever said to you, it's not a compliment, is it? You're such a sheep. It's not a compliment. It's a put down. It's sort of saying you don't know your own mind. You you definitely just follow the crowd. And now as God's chosen shepherd king over Israel, in the top job of the nation, David views himself as a sheep. But this isn't a put-down. It's not coming from a place of low self-esteem. It's a blessing. 
You see, Psalm 23 humbles us. It humbles us to see ourselves as we truly are in order to value the blessing of being in God's flock. It starts by lowering us, but to build us up. You see, God cares for his people by caring for his king. And in verses um, 5 to 6, the image changes from shepherd to host. We'll come on to that later. But what does the Lord do? Look at verses 1 to 3 again that were read for us. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. It's a description, isn't it, of constant care, uh, of active oversight. The shepherd had to be strong, you see. They had to be resourceful and cunning. He was the one who brought the flock to the water holes, to the wells. Kept it together while they were grazing. He protected the flock from the constant threat of predators. And David told Saul when he was talking on uh, just before he battled Goliath, he said to Saul that he had um, faced down uh, lions and bears whilst they were attacking the flock. This is a lad who, who had seen worse up front. Now, I appreciate in the UK, as you're driving through Yorkshire or Derbyshire or Wales or Scotland, it's easy to picture the sort of green rolling fields and the sheep just, you know, lazing around or lambs jumping around, eating as much grass as they want. But in Palestine, of Jesus' time and David's time, it's a different topography. There's something going on. It's dry, it's dusty, it's sparse when it comes to grass. A shepherd would lead the sheep to areas that they knew they could get food in. And the flock are totally dependent on him. And when you think about it, just consider a sheep and a dog together. Dog, my favorite sort of pet. What can you teach them to do? You can teach them to sit. You can teach them to wait until they're told to feed, to feed. They'll give you their paw, all sorts of cool stuff. Fetch a ball, come back. You can't teach a sheep to lie down. No. They will only do it, apparently, when they're well-fed and well-watered. Basically, I've eaten and drunk enough, I'm now going to collapse. Sound like Christmas Day? <laughs> so the shepherd has to go and take them and find the pen or find a cave, find something that will be the safe space for them. They'd even try and choose it where they, they, there's those really dense prickly bushes around as well that would act kind of like our barbed wire to keep them in and to keep any uh, attackers out. And you see, that's, that's the care, the all-consuming watchfulness of the shepherd. And the thing is, David knows this is a spiritual reality. This is what has gone on in his life. Just hear these words from Psalm 3, uh, verse 5, which talk of God's protection. I lie down, says David, and sleep. I wake again, not because I've set the phone on alarm, not because I've taken night all and uh, had a very relaxing night's sleep. No, because the Lord sustains me. And David's writing that actually in the midst of battle, knowing there are armies surrounding him. Now, skip forward. Jesus, in Mark 4, in the middle of a storm in a fisherman's boat, what's he doing? He's fast asleep. 
Whilst the disciples are panicking, whilst they're bailing water out, Jesus slept. Not because he was more exhausted than them or had earplugs in or something. No, because he knew and trusted the sovereign power and goodness of his father. He slept because he knew God's strength and power. He trusted it. David was able to sleep because his heart and mind was in the Lord. Just practically, it's an interesting fact that Christians throughout the ages have framed their day at the start and at the end with prayer. Evening and morning prayer, morning and evening prayer. And it's interesting that that tradition of praying at nighttime is a very real way of entrusting oneself to God's care. It's a tradition that I suppose we might have lost because we're more bothered about checking where the keys are or are the back doors locked, windows shut, stuff like this. But to actually kneel in prayer at the end of the day to give thanks but also entrust ourselves to God's care is a very real way in which we're saying, God, supernaturally, your power, your strength, you are enough for me. We look for his protection. And that's why the image of the rod is such a powerful one as well here in the psalm. It's a weapon. The shepherd would use it to fight off anything that would t- attack his, his sheep, would attack his livestock. It was about two and a half feet long. It was usually wooden. It had like a club-like shape to it. And at the head were embedded pieces of, of iron. So you can see it was meant to damage. And this thing was used to stop the attackers, whereas the staff was different. That was the guiding thing. That had a bit of a crook in it as well to lift out maybe a lamb that's wandering off, quickly hook it, bring it back into the flock. It was all to defend, but also to make sure they were on the right path. The shepherd was on the lookout. He was ready to defend his flock. Then you think of Jesus. Well, how was this shown? He fought for his people by healing the sick, by delivering the possessed, by feeding the hungry, by teaching the crowds to know God's word, to walk on the right, righteous path, his path. Ultimately, the cross and resurrection was the battlefield and victory for Jesus. His weapon was his sacrificial love, laying down his life to give us eternal life. God is also the shepherd who finds us and brings us back to where, when we are lost. In verse 3, he refreshes my soul. That literally means he brings me back. He brings me back. It makes clear that the sheep here can get lost. Some of them are. And it's the good shepherd's job who does the search and rescue to get the sheep back into the flock where they belong. Now you can see this more clearly, the connection with the promises of God as he develops this theme through scripture. So when Ezekiel the prophet is telling the people of Israel who are now in exile, he gives them this word of the Lord from Ezekiel 34 verse 16. God himself says, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. Because Israel's leaders weren't the shepherds they were meant to. God promises he himself will come to them and bring back the lost. 
And so when we read Jesus' teaching in Luke 15, the parable of the shepherd going after the one sheep, he is deliberately revealing his mission, his identity as God's ultimate promise shepherd. And a few chapters later in Luke 19, Zacchaeus, the corrupt tax collector, is one of those sheep. Jesus spends time with him in his home, not just eating, but teaching. How else would Zacchaeus be changed? How else would he be forgiven without hearing that promise of forgiveness? You see, he was restored. His soul was truly refreshed because he finds forgiveness in Jesus, the good shepherd. And Jesus declares he is saved. Now, last Sunday, in the early hours of Sunday morning, Anne Mackay, Anne Mackay's husband, Jimmy, died. He passed away peacefully at home. He had stage four cancer, and he found this out quite late, so there was nothing that could be done by the doctors. Jimmy wasn't a regular at Grace Church, even though he regularly drove Anne to and from church, he'd collect her, and he had at, at different points been part of the life group that Anne had been in. Whilst he was in hospital a few weeks ago, Mun Chan went to visit him. As an eldership, we've been praying for Anne and Jimmy for some time, and particularly for Jimmy, not just his health, but his spiritual health. And on that Wednesday morning, we'd been praying. On Wednesday evening, Adam and the life group had been praying for Anne and Jimmy. And on Thursday, Mun was prompted to go and visit him in hospital. First time he'd met him. And in that meeting, Moon was able to share the gospel with Jimmy in a simple yet powerful way to tell him Jesus had come to earth to bring life, die on a cross, rise to new life, and that's a gift for you. And Jimmy heard it in a way he hadn't heard before and accepted that good news. Moon prayed with him. Jimmy came home from hospital. His wife, Anne, could tell he was at peace. She saw a visible difference. I think a week and a half later, last Monday, I was, or Tuesday, I was with them in their home. And we read Psalm 1, because that's what I was preaching on. So I read Psalm 1 with Jimmy after we talked quite a bit about Man City Football Club. But then we read Psalm 1. Anne was there as well. We chatted about it a little bit. And I, when I asked him, I said, Jimmy, I know you met with uh, Mun. He came and saw you and he, he shared, you know, this following Jesus as your savior. Is that what you've done? He went, yeah. I said, would you say that belief in God was there, but now it, it, it's real? Yeah. And we prayed. And we prayed the Lord's Prayer. And I was hoping, in my plans, to see him this week just gone, to chat further. But our plans and the Lord's plans are different, aren't they? But he was at peace. Because this is real. The Lord is a good shepherd. And he saves us. He brings us to new life in Christ. You see, even in the valley of the shadow of death, you can experience and know the saving love of Christ. 
for you are with me. That was the personal hope of David. And it's something Jimmy shared in the last few weeks of his life, most clearly. Not because he deserved it, not because he earned it, but because the Lord is faithful in his love. And he is the one who goes on a search and rescue mission. He is the one who loves us and brings us into his family. Do you really trust this salvation of the Lord? Is the Lord your shepherd? Through the sun and the storm, through the health and prosperity, as well as the sickness and death. As sheep following Jesus, we don't always understand why we're leaving a good place, do we? To to climb up and down ravines. It feels a bit like that in life. Why are you moving us on? Why, Why is this change coming? Why do we have to go through a wilderness route, Lord? Why can't we just stay at the oasis? I prefer the pleasure park. This isn't what I expected, Lord. This isn't working out as I wanted, Lord. Why is family life so stressful at the moment? How are we going to make ends meet? Why does there just seem to be conflict around? And still our shepherd leads us on. He knows where we're going and he knows the best path for us. He knows we need to trust him. The German reformer Martin Luther, he put it like this. He described real Christianity is a matter of personal pronouns. And this is how he put it. This is the quote. The sweetness of the gospel lies mostly in pronouns such as me, my, thy, who loved me, who gave himself for me, Christ Jesus, my Lord. So, children, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. It's a a great way that Martin Luther put it to rub it into our hearts and minds. The Lord has good pasture in mind, green grass and still water. Not a single step of this journey is wasted for us. And so, as we come to the second part, let's consider this other image in verses 5 to 6, the one of the host. Jesus here is the good host who dwells with us forever. In verses 5 to 6, the shepherd image is now the host. Can you see that? You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. It's a striking picture, isn't it? It's a striking picture of a celebration feast here. But it's in an uncomfortable setting. Did you notice that? There's a meal going on, but there's something odd about who's also around the table or looking on. Your enemies are staring as you're eating. Who are the enemies? Well, well, for David, they're, they're real armies. They're the nations around him. They're as well as people in his own royal court who have got it in for him, who want to kill him. It'll also be his own sin as well. We know David's life. We're going to look at it next week in Psalm 51. He had battles, personal battles of his own sin, his own desires, his own selfish actions. Plenty of enemies. And for us, the enemies will look different. But I would sum it up with anything that will pull you away from Christ. Anything that takes away his place as your first love in in your life. 
So that, that clearly is any temptations, the trials you're facing. Maybe it's work, it's a toxic relationship, or it's being captivated by habitual behaviors that are destructive. These are the enemies. They're real. We're in a spiritual battle, and this journey is both through pastures and difficult valleys. Don't let that take you by surprise. Don't think you're immune to that as a believer. It's here in Scripture. The problems remain. The enemies are there, but God's presence is sufficient. He is our host. He protects. He sustains. They might be looking on and wanting to cause some pain and discomfort. They might have some level of success, but in the middle of of the valley, Jesus deeply satisfies He wants us to rejoice with him, even through the tears and the trouble. And that's why the reading from Mark 6 is so helpful. The feeding of the 5,000. Again, something you probably know and have read several times. But it makes even more sense when you read it with Psalm 23. Because here is Jesus doing the work of the ultimate shepherd. And Mark has just recalled in Mark 6 that Herod has killed John the Baptist. And Herod has just thrown his own sinful feast, where because of his pride, because of his insecurity, he kills a prophet of God. And in contrast, the compassionate shepherd king doesn't turn the crowd away. He throws a very different feast, a supernatural one. He feeds them. But the enemies are there. They're even there in the crowd. People who don't believe him. People are looking to destroy him. It's set in the context of a a tyrant puppet king who's just killed John the Baptist. And isn't it fascinating when you think of Jesus' ministry? He was happy to eat with sinners. He eats with them so that they might know his kingdom. That they might know that his kingdom is open to them. Isn't that profound? This is the good shepherd, the ultimate one, who sustains us, who feeds us, who has a feast for us, even in the valley of the shadow of death. And David is promising us this close, intimate relationship with the shepherd. You see, isn't it profound? Instead of dumb sheep, Jesus calls us friends. That's what he says in John 15. So as we come to celebrate today, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in a few moments' time. I want us to gratefully receive this gift of life, that as we take a wafer and we have some grape juice as ways of symbolizing Jesus' body and his blood, of remembering with grateful thanks his death and resurrection, let's fix our eyes on the feast he has already set out for us. A place has been prepared for us in his father's house where we will dwell with him forever. John 14. Do you reflect on that enough in the everyday? That is your home right now. The ultimate joy of heaven is not mansions of streets of gold. It's not even being united with believers that we knew in our lifetime as as much of those blessings are true and real in the new kingdom. But Jesus is the joy of heaven. It will be home because he is there. And he said, 
If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. This is the good shepherd. Trust him today. Let's pray. Father, something so simple as having to learn that we are led, that we must follow, that we aren't in control of all the aspects of our lives, but have to entrust ourselves and look to you, depending on you to sustain us, to meet our real needs, to save us, and to bring us into the eternal kingdom, your home, our home, through Christ Jesus. We thank you that that good news is still true. It will always be true. It is still powerful. It is changing people's hearts and minds. And we continue to remember and pray for Anne in her bereavement. And we thank you for the hope and the glory of the gospel and the truth that something that Jimmy was able to share because of your love, that you are the God who saves. You're the shepherd who is in charge of your family. So may we joyfully follow you all the days of our lives. Amen.